0: It's time to hit the trail, as we present your monthly dose of travel, tourism, wine and dine. This is Travel Radio Australia. Here's your host, Rens
1: Veers, And welcome to this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. And in this show, we will take you to Africa, Cape York the german town of bamberg and the dutch cities of amsterdam and rotterdam that's all coming up so stay tuned first up our own jeff harrison uh, chatting with will gab about africa
2: and my guest this week is will gab from this is africa travel a part of the toucan travel group and will welcome to the program thank you very much jeff now, Will, tell us about This Is Africa. It's a fantastic way to see a very
3: interesting place. Yeah, This Is Africa is a African wholesaler specialising in anything and everything to do with East and Southern Africa, from our kind of budget overland camping expeditions uh, right up to our ultra-high-end fly-in, fly-out, and everything in between. So whether or not you want to uh, have some beach time in the Maldives or Zanzibar or you want to climb Kilimanjaro or you just want to go and uh, hit up some of the best wildlife left on the planet, um, we can source it for you either our tailor-made packages or, um, or uh, the, the, the full tailor-made experience. anything and everything thing to do with Eastern Southern. And tell us about some of
2: your experiences, because you've obviously done all this yourself, and uh, some of the highlights for you.
3: I used to be a uh, overland tour leader for Can Travel, actually, for a, for a few years, running their big Nairobi to Cape Town trips. Um, the, the highlights is obviously the, the, the wildlife is, is number one, um, the, the best wildlife on the planet, hands down, um, and can be found throughout um, eastern and southern Africa. There are probably hundreds of different national parks, so not enough time to uh, go into them. Now, to go gorilla trekking, seeing the last mountain gorillas left in the wild, it, is probably the single best thing you can do in Africa. Not cheap anymore. A payment is about 700 US dollars, but worth every single uh, dollar. And, uh, the, the scenery and the people on top of that. So most people will go to Africa um, initially to see the, uh, to go on safari, see the wildlife. The scenery, from, from desert to rainforest to mountains, blows people away. Um, and Africa unfairly has a poor reputation, you know, for, for security. That's uh, that's uh, you know true in places, but not the areas obviously that you want to go to. And um, the people are absolutely lovely. The, the 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 governments are, you know, the ones that have held that entire continent back. But the, the people are incredibly friendly. Um, you go and visit, you know, Maasai tri- tribes and Himba warrior tribes down the south in southern Namibia, that type of thing. It's a, it's an absolutely beautiful com- uh, continent. That, that more people should travel to.
2: Now I saw a little thing last night on TV about the Maasai actually and they do this thing where they walk up to lions and intimidate them and take their food. That is just absolutely incredible, the bravery of these guys. Uh,
3: so the, the, to become a, a, a Maasai warrior back in the day, they, they, every Maasai had to kill his own lion. And obviously they've had to stop doing that because otherwise there would be no lions left. But the lions have been hunted for centuries by the, by the Maasai and they are terrified of them. And, and literally that's why a lot of our um, campsite uh, guards, are all Maasai warriors, because they have their red, um, obviously, kind of tartan um, blankets. The, the, the lions recognize that color and they are off. All the wildlife is now heavily protected, and, and, and the Maasai, um, obviously, uh, are now earning a living as you know, safari guides and, and the security, in, in particular in the Masai Mara and the Serengeti up in East Africa, which is where their tribal kind of territory is.
2: And we have to understand that it really is a doggy dog world in in Africa. Parts of Africa, this is the this is jungle territory, and and the thing is that uh, we have to. Go by their ways as well. We can't impose our views on them, and uh, to to a certain extent,
3: Africa. Obviously, they've got abject poverty across the whole con- uh, continent. It's it's very much a third world uh, um, destination. But I do believe, you know, uh, that the, the the tourist money that, that we bring, you know, Africa can be an expensive destination. Some of the most beautiful lodges that you'll ever stay in uh, can be found across Eastern Southern Africa. The the tourist dollar that that provides to the countries is obviously incredibly valuable to them, and it means that they're going to protect this wildlife. It these- needs to have a value put on it like the gorilla permits being $700 there's only 700 mountain gorillas left on the planet they're slowly increasing in number but that is only because the the local governments have realized that it's a big US dollar foreign currency earner for them and I'm perfectly happy with that as long as they you know protect these last true wilderness areas left on the planet
2: and there's a great way of seeing Africa where you can go in these luxurious tents which they set up for you which is terrific
3: Look, there's many options in Africa. From from your very unglamping camping on our big overland trucks, which is a trip that I used to run for a few years, which are very much group tour on a big Mercedes Benz truck driving across Africa. Putting up your own tent, right up to the fly and fly out, glamping kind of out of Africa experience, private butlers, where you're in a tent, but you can't really describe it as a tent because it's got four rooms to it, en suites, hardwood floors, your own private butler, that type of thing. Um, But you obviously, there's a very much a, a price discrepancy between the two uh, two types of camping you don't have to spend a, a fortune in, in in africa if you don't want to camp you know there are three and four star lodges you don't have to go for the ultra ultra high end you know which is your classic honeymoon uh, products that type of thing there, there is something for everybody in africa as far as um, you know budgets and itineraries are concerned you know and we're more than happy to you know chat with anybody we do anything to do with with the whole of eastern southern from rail journeys to mountain climbing to beach trips to the classic safari
2: And uh, Will Gab from This Is Africa, how can people find out more online?
3: Um, so we've got a website, obviously, on, online, uh, This Is Africa. All come and chat to us. Well, our head office is in um, Sydney, but we've got, obviously, staff on the road around all the, uh, the Australian states. We're opening an office down in, in Johannesburg to, to source a lot of our southern African bookings over there. Um, but get, give us a call, and uh, we're more than happy to help. And uh, all of our, uh, our reps and sales staff in the office have all lived and worked in Africa extensively. Give us a call, and we'll tell you uh, what, what we think you should be doing to, to suit your timescales and budgets. And we'll go from there.
2: Terrific. So it's thisisafrica.com, they they can find you?
3: Yes, certainly is. Um, Or or just give us a call or or get all our details online and more than happy to help with any African inquiry. Well, Gab, thank you very much for being part of the program this week. You're welcome. Have a good day, Jeff.
1: That's Jeff Harrison chatting with Will Gab from This Is Africa. Next on the show, a grab from uh, one of our uh, associated programs, Travel Writers Radio down in Melbourne. And Veronica Matheson recently visited Lotus Bird Lodge in Cape York.
4: Sue, how do people find this remote spot? Uh, I guess it's uh, word of mouth or... Uh, The internet. We're on the internet. Right. And um, bird watchers who come here. Why do they come here? I mean, they come from all over the world, don't they? Yeah, they're looking for the golden-shouldered parrot or the red goshawk. And is this one of the few places you can find that? Well, the golden-shouldered parrot, this is the only area you can find it. And the goshawk, well, this is where they're nesting. So, yeah, and they're still long enough for you to see them. So what, uh, describe the birds, what do they look like, the parrot? The parrot is beautiful, it's um, very much a rainbow. oh they call it the turquoise parrot, so it's got a lot of turquoise on it but it's got a golden shoulder with um, feathers. Right, and what sort of sound does it make? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but what does it make, like it's a parrot? Like budgie. It's like a budgie, yeah, terrific. Yeah. And the other bird that you mentioned? The, uh, the red goshawk. Um. It's, it's quite a big bird, it's a bit bigger than a whistling kite, um, quite red, stunning, absolutely stunning. She is stunning. Um, but, yeah. The male is pretty ordinary. <laughs> oh, well, the male is uh, mainly one colour, but the female has a lighter chest and is very, very attractive. And yeah. do you have quite a few of these on the property? Uh, no, no, our place is only 64 hectares. This right. is uh, more on Volatile Station. Oh, okay. So you've got a station as well. Then that... no, no, no. That's that belongs to other people. Wait, let stop going. Okay. So yeah. So with the birds, um, the birds, they're they're not actually on your property, but they can go and see them around, or you can that's tell how, them. Yeah, the, to see the golden shouldered parrot, is probably about a hundred kilometre round trip to go and see. Oh, sorry, no, fifty kilometres uh, to see the the golden shoulder parrot. Sue, so are the birds on this property? No, they have to drive to go and see the golden-shouldered parrot, which is about a 50-kilometre return um, drive, but the hawk is probably only about 18 kilometres away. Right. And so what, do you draw them a map or go with them? I draw them a mud map. (laughs) Why a mud map? (laughs) Well, I guess that's what they used to do in the old days, you know how they used to draw it all in the dirt? Well, I just draw it in pencil. And give it to them and then tell them they have to eat it. <laughs> that's a good plan because you don't want too many people to know where it is. No, that's true. I mean, these are birds that are really, really, as you say, if they're not looked after properly, they just disappear. Yeah, that's right. How many would there be in the population in this area? Oh, well, the golden-shouldered parrot, um, not many, and their numbers are not increasing. They're just stable, which I is can't... not good. We'd like them to increase, but they're not. But the golden shot, the Goshawk. Um, nobody really knows how many pairs there are, because you know there's just there's not a lot of them. So there'd be what maybe hundreds. I don't think not even that. Oh, yeah. that is. So not a bit of wonder they travel from what England and well, no, America. no, no, these birds. These, yeah, well, that's right. The the guests, yes, uh, but the birds. Uh, the red goshawk, I think, comes from around Lismore area, but it comes up here to breed. Oh, right, so, right. Yeah. so you keep track of them. How did you find yourself interested in birds? Um, that's a hard question because I decided to travel around Australia for 18 months and you just kind of picked a bird book up and that was it because there's so many birds. Australia has got so many awesome birds. So, so you went everywhere with binoculars. Yes, Yes. I liked the um, the idea of wandering around and looking for birds. Mm-hmm. So. And your partner how did you, was he interested in birds as well when you oh, met no, him? No, I didn't meet him. I didn't I met him up at Pun Bay. Oh right, and, which uh, is right at the tip yeah. of uh, the, the yeah, this um, area, the there, Cape yeah. York, yes. So were you working up there? Uh no, I was travelling. Okay. and I met him and uh, yeah, and then we we stayed up there and Run Pan Bay for a while. It uh-huh. lovely, and then we come down to Lotus Bird Lodge. Yes, and how long have you been here? Eleven years. And the, during the wet season, do you close up? Yes, we close up in about November because it just gets too hot. So we close up, and then it becomes our time. Mm-hmm. We've looked after our guests. Now we we look after the lodge. You know, we give it a good clean and um, any maintenance that needs to be done, and then we have a rest. So and that's great. Do you go travelling? I go travelling. Gary doesn't. He likes to stay home. He's a homebody. But, yeah, I usually go overseas with a bunch of girls. And him? do you go looking for birds? No, but there's always some birds around. <laughs> so, yeah. no. so when you um, actually uh, are here, when is the peak season for bird watchers to come? October. October is a really good time because a lot of the migratory birds are coming in. And there's not as much water around, so they concentrate on the where the water is. So, yeah, it's a lot easier to bird in October. Right, so most of the people who come here in October would be birders, and the rest of the year it would be maybe tour groups and passers-by. That's it, yes. General tourism. General tourism. Yeah, so, yeah. So if somebody comes here, I mean, it's, okay, it's got the name of the bird lodge, but um, they can do lots of other things, well, most people that come here, they either want to have a rest and do nothing, uh, or they want to go bird watching, or they want to go and look mainly for you know animals, birds. They just want to get into nature, and uh, this is a good place to do it. What sort of animals do you have here? Uh, lots of wallabies, different types of wallabies, rock wallabies, um, agile wallabies. But yeah, there's, there's lots of different wallabies, uh, kangaroos, uh, wallaroos, so... Yeah, uh, crocodiles. We've got lots of good crocodiles. Big <laughs> crocodiles. Big crocodiles in the water in the lagoon. Or yeah, was... we have one here. Uh, she's about ten foot. And so. do you have you given her a name? Well, we have. We we called her Arthur, and then we didn't realise. We think now it's a female, so we call her Martha. So we don't know if it's Arthur or Martha. And so, are there many wallabies around the property? Would they hop around? Yeah, there's plenty of wallabies. And we have our line dancers, which is a lot of wallabies you will see tonight. Uh, we have kangaroos. What do wallabies. they do they, when you say line, oh, line you'll dance? See. You'll see. <laughs> you trained them, have you? <laughs> <laughs> you'll see. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. And um, as you say, any other, I mean, in the water, do you have anything? Yeah, we have crocodiles. Uh, we have one crocodile in our lagoon. Uh, we're not sure if it's a male or female. We did name her Arthur, or we did not name it Arthur. But then we feel that it's a female now, so we don't know if it's Arthur or Martha. Right, and is Arthur a little croc or a big croc? Ten foot. Wow, that yeah. is a big size. Yeah. Yes, so have you ever had any problems with Arthur or Martha? No, never, never. She no. stays in the water. She doesn't like people. Yes. What about the dogs? Does she like the dogs? Well, yes, they're not supposed to be in the water, but they are. Oh, okay, so, so they so they have sort of got to the way they, they, they were out to meet all yep. the guests when they arrive. Yeah, everybody has to go out. That's their job. And, like, everybody walks around the lagoon and they'll be with them. Yeah. That's their job. They That's, have to walk around and look So cool. you've got working dogs. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so the how many uh, cabins have you got here? I mean, they're beautiful cabins. They really, really are. Yeah, there's 10 cabins. They're all um, milled from this property, all from volatile stations. Right. right. Yeah. So what sort of uh, wood would it be? Uh, we've got bloodwood, Cooktown Ironwood, Messmate. I can't remember the other one. No, but you virtually came here and started the property and built the... No, 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 this was already here. Oh, was it? Yeah, no, Americans built this. Right. And um, they had it going for about four years and then they left when September 11 happened Mm -hmm. and it was empty for four years and then Gary and I came down and we've been going strong for 11 years now. It's very adventurous of you to come here. Had had you seen it advertised or did you just sort of pass by? No, somebody said um, that it was up for sale and so Gary came down because we were up the top there and Gary came down and had a look at it and said, oh, you've got to come and have a look at it now. So um, a couple of days later I come down and had a look and we said, yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice. It didn't look anything like it does now. It was oh, I quite bet it rundown. didn't. Yeah. Yes, but you've obviously done a lot of work to yes. it now. Yeah. Yes. looking good. It's looking good. And when is your busiest month? Uh, May to September. Right. Yes. So we're getting at the end of the tourist season now. Mm-hmm. So when people come here, as you say, they really just want to rest and relax and they have beautiful food. I love your open air. It's very sort of Thai looking actually, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The The veranda bar there and yeah. everything. No, it's great, um, a great spot. What else would you advise people to do if they come here? I mean, obviously, where would they come in from, from Cairns? Well, a lot of people, like, you know, we have a sign out the front saying you're welcome to come in and have a look. So it's not just tour groups and, mm-hmm. you know, people that are going to stay. Everybody's welcome to come in and have a look, uh, whether they want to have a look at the lagoon or walk around the lagoon. But, no, it's um it's open to everybody. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just come in and yep, um, they say... And then say, "Oh, can I come in next year?" (laughs) Well, that's a problem because we're fully booked out next year. Why is that? Um, I, I don't know. We're just fully booked out. Isn't that fabulous? September. Yeah, Mm. that's right. You must be doing something right. Yes, yes, yes. We're having a good time. Yes. Thank you, Sue. Thank
1: you. And we'd like to thank Travel Writers Radio and the International Food, Wine and Travel Writers Association for that segment featuring Veronica Matheson at Lotus Bird Lodge in Cape York. Our own European correspondent, Francis Beasley, is back on the show featuring a little German town which is very popular with tourists. It's called Bamberg.
5: Greetings, it's Francis here from the heart of Europe, Munich to be precise. Well, I've been bumbling around a place called Bamberg. There's little more gratifying than discovering a place that rings all the bells and ticks all the boxes, and yet for some obscure reason has remained a well-kept secret amongst those who live closest. Bamberg is one such city. Recommended by an American friend of ours who is a traveller of note, she was suitably horrified to learn that we had never visited Bamberg from Munich, despite the fact it is only a little over two hours by car or train. A bit of research enlightened us that this city, which is a World Heritage Site, is one of a few major cities left in Germany that remained unscathed during the Second World War. The result is a magnificently maintained original city, full of buildings and a plethora of churches that date back in places to 1100. Simply incredible. Whilst a major tourist destination, for Chinese and Americans, Europeans, strangely, don't seem to have discovered it to the same extent. Either way, it's best to go out of season, and if you want some stunning pics, go during late autumn as the leaves start turning and are falling. The hues of yellow, gold, and red leaves along the banks of the rivers Danube and Regnitz that run through this town make for positively jaw-dropping stuff. This city is about serious history, and wherever you wander, you will discover yet another little corner or street that reveals a piece of history that is breathtaking. Perhaps it is the old buildings, stunning historical architecture, and bridges of the true wonder. The old town hall, dating back to the 14th century, is just one example. Decorated with incredible frescoes and located on a bridge, it causes people to stop and stare in wonder. If churches are your bag, there are plenty to oblige. With the opulent Imperial Cathedral of St Peter and St George with its towering spires providing an external sight it is second to none. Inside it is surprisingly plain and perhaps a little disappointing compared to the enchanting though considerably smaller Church of Saint Jacob. The former Benedictine monastery of Saint Michael and the Carmelite monastery, the latter which was converted in a Baroque style, provide an insight into time gone by. As you wander around the cloisters of these monasteries. You can almost feel the ghosts of the monks that must have been there. Bamberg itself sprawls and as a result, one needs at least two days just to scratch the surface of all it has to share. Go during the summer months and you need no far longer to ensure you take a boat trip, a concert and have time to explore a few kilometres outside of the city where the Seehof Palace and Weissenstein Palace respectively require several hours to maximise your visit. There is an excellent tourist office on the banks of the Regnitz, with several modern as well as traditional cafes in its surrounds, plus an underground car park that ensures out-of-town visitors can be centrally placed without counting the time on the meter if you park elsewhere. Accommodation ranges from bed and breakfasts to more luxurious abodes but for value for money it's hard to beat the last-minute specials offered on many of the major sites especially out-of-season and on a Sunday night. We scored a winner with a night at the Arcaden Hotel which is located in part of the Converted Carmelite Monastery. For only €54 for two people We had an excellent modern clean room with all facilities, such as Wi-Fi, etc. Staff were super friendly, helpful and spoke good English. Also, they offered reduced rates in the adjoining small car park. Useful if you've got a car. If you arrive by train, which is located away from the old city areas, the good public transport system will ensure you can reach your hotel with ease. Buses are frequent, even at the weekends. A word of caution though, many of the palaces close from November to March inclusive, while some museums may be open for reduced hours during the winter period. To bring a smile, the house where Levi Strauss, after whom the famous jeans are named, was born is now a popular museum with a shop that apparently does serious trade. Bamberg is without doubt one of Germany's best kept secrets and whilst not on a direct tourist route it's easy to get fruit to from most of the major city centres either by train or road. Add it to your bucket list if you want to ensure you see a piece of serious history whilst also having a great time. From me Francis in Munich in the centre of Europe take care until the next time.
0: This is Travel Radio Australia.
1: And uh, Francis Beasley will be back on the show in the near future. And next on the programme, we take a grab from another associate show, which is called Around the World Radio, hailing from Santa Barbara in California. And Max Hartshorn, one of their regular correspondents, uh, visits two Dutch cities, Amsterdam, which happens to be the city I was born in and grew up in, And also uh, another major city in in Holland, which is called Rotterdam. So let's hear from Max. Did you
6: have pancakes this morning? (laughs) I didn't. I did not have pancakes. But when I was in Amsterdam,
0: I had some great
6: food. You know, uh, I I agree with you. Amsterdam has got some fabulous food and uh, uh, a lot of variety, a lot of different uh, types of things. Tell me a little bit about where, where you ate and what you did.
0: Well, you know, we were there for a very exciting thing. Anybody who's a foodie knows about the great Michelin Guide and knows what it means to have a Michelin star. Well, we were there as guests of uh, visit Amsterdam, partly because they were giving away the 2016 uh, Michelin stars for the country of the Netherlands. They gave away a number of stars. I think there was about 20 chefs that received their prestigious chef coat that had the Michelin star picture on it, and right in in person they were given that, that amazing award, that amazing honor of having a Michelin star. Now, is it actually a star? Do they give them a little star like they can put it on the Christmas tree? They give them a jacket, and then you can wear that jacket with absolute pride, knowing that you actually are a Michelin star, but a uh, star chef. Uh, a funny thing was that there were several chefs who weren't around during the ceremony. They had about you know, 1,500 people in a big arena, and so they thought they would call the chef in Rotterdam and give him this honor, this great honor of having his Michelin star. And they pick up the phone, and they called the gentleman in, uh, in Rotterdam, and he said, okay, thank you, goodbye. <laughs>
6: wow. Well, you know, Did the, the Dutch what, are kind of get down to the get down to business pretty fast.
4: Haven't you? Have you seen that movie, The Hundred Foot Journey, where they where the, the the restaurants desperately trying to get a uh, their third Michelin star? Uh-huh. It's a wonderful oh, it's, sp- wonderful movie. A lot of people. Find know, I didn't um, I
0: didn't realize that not only is the Michelin tradition very big in Europe, but it's also they have four hundred different uh, restaurants that have stars in the United States.
6: Yes, and and, you know, uh, people get very upset about uh, stars because sometimes they get them and sometimes they lose them. I remember they, they
0: told me they, they take away 150 or 200, and they give out about 300. So it's on the positive side. But the worst thing is when you're told by uh, Michelin that you've lost your star or if you've been downgraded. Fortunately, at this ceremony, as you can see, with Mr. Michelin Man was there, uh, nobody was downgraded, and only was, were more stars were added. So Netherlands is really becoming a culinary destination.
6: Huh. I remember years ago when uh, one of the venerable restaurants of Paris, the, the Tour d'Argent, mm-hmm. uh, right there on the Ile-Saint-Louis. Mm-hmm which had been a three-star since probably since Michelin started giving out stars. The restaurant is one of the oldest restaurants around. But uh, I guess some of the reviewers went in there because they go in secretly. And uh, they went in there, and they didn't like the way the duck was. And I mean, duck had sort of dropped in quality, and, and other dishes had not been as uh, up to the standards of three stars. So they, they, they took one away, and, and the guy um, who's no longer with us, Claude Turay of the restaurant, said, If you take away my star... And then I don't want any styles. Take me out of your book. Oh, really? Mais oui. And d- did
4: they? Wow. Uh, I,
6: I don't know what ever happened, but I know. I think they're back to three stars now. Ah. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> if you're not going to give me the best, then I don't want to be in it.
0: Anyway, so, but uh, well, tell me tell about you, you, it. Amsterdam is such an exciting city to be in any time of year. But, you know, the Christmas time is a great time to go. Um, we were there during, um, not only was it Michelin star season and the awards season, but um, there was a wonderful thing going on called the Amsterdam Light Festival. And this was just extraordinary. You know, in the United States we talk about lights, like Christmas lights, and maybe in the shape of a Santa Claus or whatever. But, no, in Amsterdam they really do it up. You can see some of the photographs of some of these light installations. Hmm. Beautiful artwork. That's been created for people to see when they're in the canals. Just huge installations, tremendous artwork, and very thoughtful think. You know, the kind of art you have to think about. There was a photograph there of a little guy jumping. That's an animated that that little picture just animates all night of the various well, jumping figures. But which probably artwork makes that max, really makes you think.
6: It probably makes sense too because you've got very long nights in the winter time up there mm-hmm. in, Ho- in Holland, don't you?
0: You do, yeah. It was really, you know, when we were there, it was gray, and now now the photograph that we're looking at now is the inside of the Rotterdam, the beautiful Market Hall, the tremendous Market Hall, where they have artwork on the ceiling of this gigantic U-shaped building. It's tremendous. That was Rotterdam, actually.
6: No, In that was the previous picture. Okay, now, that, there, okay that, yeah, that was that one. There we the were Festival at some, of Light, yes. Okay, then yes. we're looking at some water.
0: It looked like uh, maybe on a river. Is that a, a river? Yeah, well, that's the canal. As you know, Amsterdam is laced with canals all over the place. There's canals, almost as many as Venice, I think. So, you really, people travel a lot on water taxis and also on these canal cruises, and that's the best way to see the Festival of Light. And the other thing is that you saw the Ice Skater. That was a, That's a temporary little thing that they do during the December for local Folks to put on their ice skates and skate around, and have really good hot chocolate in the little warming hut there in the center of of Amsterdam. Wow. Uh, Rotterdam oh. is also kind of a neat place. Rotterdam is kind of a second city, not as well known. Um, there are lots of houseboats in Rotterdam, and I think the most spectacular thing was the architecture in Rotterdam. Really mm. tremendous How far buildings of all Amsterdam? shapes. How far apart are they? Ah uh, that's it's about um about a 1 hour train ride so pretty easy to get between the two you know the 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 I think that the whole city the whole country of Netherlands is about as big as Orange County I mean, it's very small <laughs> relatively the traffic's to not a bad right <laughs>
6: um,
0: there's the market hall
6: so if you, if you if you go to Rotterdam because I've been I've been to and course, you've got incredible museums you've got the Anne Frank house there's a lot of things to keep you busy but I, I, I never thought about Rotterdam, because I don't know what you would do there. What, do you, what, what was uh, some of the uh, highlights well, as far
2: activities? Well, you
0: know, as, uh, I, as, a, as somebody who likes buildings and architecture and ocean, it's really, if you like that, it's really fun in terms of being able to see. You're right on the ocean. And you can see these great buildings. There's a neat walkway. There's a maritime museum, which we enjoyed. Uh, it's very much a seaport. It's probably the most active seaport uh, in the Western world. I mean, there's more ships coming in than anywhere else. There's also this wonderful walkway that goes through the city. It's this wooden walkway. And then, as you can see, this crazy architecture, cube houses like you've never seen before. These, no, actually, it looks like,
6: That looks a little bit like what we got going on 101 right now. But they're not as nice as, <laughs> ours aren't as nice as those. Um, let me ask you, uh, because, you know, when we're talking about food, of course, what I think about when I think about Holland is I think about herring, because they, they have it on the streets. Did you eat any uh, fresh herring?
0: We, you know, we didn't have any herring, We had a little bit of sushi because we went to some upscale restaurants. But you mentioned the, ri- the rice table. That yes. is really the, the legendary dish. That is the thing, you know, that Indonesian heritage. Um, the other heritage that's very interesting over there is their, their connection with Suriname, the South American country, which very few of us have been to, but many Surinamese are now living in Amsterdam and the Netherlands because they had a pretty open policy, being a former colony. So you see a lot of the cuisine of. of I remember I went to a restaurant. I had some noodles with the hottest little peppers I've ever ever set foot <laughs> on. I've ever t- taken a bite of, and they were they were Surinamese peppers. They told me.
6: And, and and you said South American. What type of? I mean, besides the hot peppers, is it meat based, vegetable based, um, fish based, curries? Uh, what kind of things? You know, is
0: it? curries and you know fish dishes. I mean, essentially, um, it's a very poor country. So you're looking at you know you're not looking at the gourmet side of things. It's more like survival food. You know, rice and beans, fish. Chicken stuff like that, but just the spices are the thing that gives it its uniqueness. I think you know hmm. because of the colony connection.
6: Sure, sure. And uh, <laughs> the and then, pastries look fantastic. Y- yeah, look good, they, they look really yeah, good. Yeah. I'm starving. Uh, yeah, we are kind of hungry yeah. out here right now. Yeah.
0: And and then yeah, that, that, that dish that you're looking at was a three star chef in the hotel where we stayed in Amsterdam, and I got to give it a shout out to that hotel. What is it's it? It's called. The um, it's an amazing hotel. It's the Grand. I've got to make sure I pronounce it right. It's a very long name. It's the. Uh, it's a named after a Polish general, and I'm looking for the gentleman's name. I can't find it. Uh, it's a. It's. Um, oh, it sorry, beautiful. guys. I'm spacing out on the hotel. Okay, I got a question uh, um, for you, Max. It, that was a three-star chef who cooked that wonderful-looking dish there. Who I can't recall. I'm looking for his. Oh yeah, the Grand Cafe Krasnepolski. Oh, some that, of these, some so of these uh, hotel the rooms are the new W Hotel that's just opened in Amsterdam. Uh, Very high, scale W Hotel.
6: Hey, and Max, when you, when you go out to a restaurant in Holland, uh, do you go Dutch?
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, not if you're a journalist. <laughs> but, but the other thing you do when you're in Holland, of course, is you, 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 if you're some people, you might take advantage of the very liberal, loose law and get something to smoke after dinner. Because, of course, you know, just like in Oregon and Washington, they have no prohibition about that. So that's sort of a fun little aspect, you know, the, the whole cafe scene, which has been sort of fun and talked about many times, I'm sure.
4: So you can smoke in a restaurant?
0: You can go to a little cafe and buy a box of J's and smoke in the canal.
6: We're talking smokey oh, bear.
4: Smoking. Oh, we're talking about marijuana. Oh, I know. Oh, illegal the illegal the marijuana, which is Sorry, part
0: of what what takes uh, here. She's <laughs> thinking she's thinking about
6: Marlboro, the- man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey Max, always great to hear your voice and we know that if you want to know more about uh, Holland and many other places that you go all over the globe, you are one of the uh, prime globetrotters, they need to go to gonomad.com and uh, they can probably see more of those wonderful pictures if they missed it online here.
1: And if you want to see some of those pictures uh, they were describing during that segment, you can log on to uh, ATWTV and actually uh, see the TV pictures as well as listen to the audio for Around the World Radio. Hey, that's all we've got for you in uh, this month's edition of Travel Radio Australia. I'd like to thank all the contributing parties. uh, Jeff Harrison here in Australia. uh, Veronica Matheson down in Melbourne in Australia and uh, Travel Riders Radio. Francis Beasley in Germany. And, of course, Max Hartshorn and Arthur von Wiesenberger and Martha Bull in Santa Barbara for Around the World Radio. We'll be back with the next edition of Travel Radio Australia next month. Until then, happy trials.
0: You have been listening to Travel Radio Australia. The show was produced and hosted by Ren Spears. It can be played or downloaded from TravelRadioAustralia.com travelcastnetwork.com the iTunes store or listen to the show on TuneIn Radio